Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and thank you for joining us today for Live Dharma Sunday. Please note that if you have called in to listen to today's broadcast, that all lines have been placed on mute to avoid background interference. If you are listening from any of our Bright Dawn sites, note that it is not necessary to call in. You may have to wait a second or two for the loading and buffering process to complete, but if there is still no audio, please refresh your page. For more information about Bright Dawn and its activities and links to our social media sites, please visit brightdawn.org. Once again, thank you for listening to Live Dharma Sunday and enjoy the talk. Welcome everyone to Live Dhamma Sunday for February 17, 2019. Koyo Kubosa here. So very, very glad you joined us. Oh boy. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to start off today's broadcast with. And uh, I was reading the Sunday paper and there was an article about Valentine's Day and love. And uh, <clears throat> what a topic, love, uh, as this article talked about it, sort of from a philosophical perspective, I guess. Um, <clears throat> something much beyond romantic love, uh, love of country, love of a hobby or work, love of nature. It's a very broad, complex topic if you delve into it. And I don't have anything to offer that much, but as I read that article, I said, yeah, you know, yeah, love is one of those words where, you know, uh, maybe there's some extremes about it, me emotionally, where by that I mean, you know, you, you love someone or something, what does that mean? Okay. Because the article also talks about obsessive love. Or uh, it it reminds me of, um, uh, what was it? Uh, someone that, you know, the author, I can't, the author skips uh, my mind now, but he wrote the, a, a road less traveled, and he also wrote one on the nature of evil. And it was interesting when you read it, if if my memory serves. He talks about uh, parents that purport to love their child. And so what they do is what they they feel is best for the child. But in in a little misdirected way. It's like sort of like, well, uh, I love you so much, I care for you, 
So this is for your own good. Whack. Uh, <clears throat> uh, or I was, as I thought about it, I remember Anne Rand. I don't know if you remember her philosophy. I don't remember what the name of her philosophy was, but one characteristic was it said, love yourself. You know, that's all you have to know in life. Love yourself. And on superficially, you might think, oh, she's, she's talking about egotism as opposed to altruism. How about thinking of others? Well, uh, it's also interesting. She she said, uh, if you want to know what I, what I, my belief system and so forth, you know, ask me and I'll tell you. But I don't want to get into any debate, you know, arguing about something, why I'm wrong or why you, why why I think that, you know, your position is wrong and stuff like that. But she said, um, truly love yourself. You will do what's, you know, sustains sustains you, nourishes you. And it could be that you really love doing something for others. And if that's true, take care of yourself by fulfilling that need to help others. Okay. So you can see the direction in terms of uh, if you think respect is a big part of love, well, not just respecting others, but you have to respect yourself in order to truly be able to respect others, others' uniqueness. Okay. Uh, so that that's love could be seen as oneness as the opposite of non-dualism, as the opposite of two-ness. And in that sense, there's a whole area that says, you know, don't profess love. It's not, you're not falling in love with love, conceptual love. Uh, I love this, I love that. Uh, That statement itself is dualistic, subject and an object. I love music, you know. Uh, or I love basketball. I love God. I love the Dharma. Uh, if you, that is uh, alienation. You know, I don't know if this is proper scripture, but in Christianity they say, um, you know, say, uh, I love God, or and God loves me. Let's explore that relationship. Love is not a relationship, and more it's an identity where you identify with somebody else or some some other activity or whatever so much, you're not objectifying it as an object of love. Love empties itself of itself. Uh, God empties him or herself from him or herself. And it touch, if you talk about emptiness that way, uh, meaning you're not thinking about yourself, self-consciousness of what you love, true love. Okay, not maybe this, you know, maybe this is a definition. Definition always shows 
a person's values and preferences and so forth, as opposed to an empirical statement of fact. But uh, <clears throat> Christian mystics can really learn <laughs> from within Christianity itself. Like Meister Eckhart is a famous Christian mystic who talks about oneness. Doesn't use the word, but he says, uh, if you really love God, empty yourself of God. Then he will have more room to work in you. Okay? Someone, who, uh, uh, romantic love. If someone is always saying, hey, I love you. Hey, I love my wife. Hey, I love, you know, and keep saying that. Okay? Uh, you Don't you think you, you kind of look at him a little bit askance? Or maybe the spouse says, gee, maybe he, <laughs> I, I think he doth his love, announces his love too much. Uh, someone who loves art, loves, say, um, uh, making pottery, chiseling out a, 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 a print, you know, um, I remember seeing a video of a national treasure in Japan. He was an artist that that uh, used a carving tool, and he would cut out uh, his his mold or his you know that is uh, that you put the ink on, and then you could make a print. And uh, you. you you should see him when he's working. Just like a musician, you know, when they play their music, they're gone. There's no thought of self-consciousness or, man, I'm doing something that I really love. Hey, you know, uh, they're one with it. Whatever they're doing, you know. Someone else says, whoa, he, you know, He's really into his work. He's one with his work. He loves <laughs> whatever. So I just broached the topic like that, and I think that it has a lot of implications for you know, philosophy of life or uh, self-reflection, introspection, when we think about love. Okay, okay. I'd like to introduce our guest today to give a dumber glimpse. Roger Sayo, and he went through our lay ministry program, LM5 group. He lives in Georgia. Roger Sayo Sensei. I've been thinking a lot about getting older, probably not just because I am getting older, as is every living being, but also because Dorothy and I have moved to a new community where most of the folks work in movie and film production in one way or another. And they are younger, and sometimes much younger than I am. In fact, of the approximately 60 people who have moved to this community in the last 12 months, only one other person is older than I am. So this puts me at the leading edge of what's called the age wave. Some people call this oncoming population of people my age a silver tsunami, as if it's an unanticipated inundation of the general population by old farts 
who will consume more resources than the younger population can afford to give. But actually, we've known about this general increase of an older population arising since 1964, the year when the last of the baby boomers were born. Children result in people who get older, and what led Gautama Buddha to recognize as one of the basic dissatisfactions of life, old age, and ultimately death. Here's a conundrum. Children, for those who have them, are mostly seen as a joy and as a validation of the importance of ourselves for producing them and as a responsibility to us for raising the next generation. But children age and change, sometimes in ways we parents don't understand, resulting in personal dissatisfaction with the results of our children's and perhaps others' aging. We see some of this in the public landscape today with some parents' dissatisfaction with emerging new, or at least newly recognized, ways of expressing gender, or expressing new ways of the genders relating to each other. And we also see it with dissatisfaction in what we call racial identity or ethnicity. This dissatisfaction leads to generational conflict in some relationships, and even to conflict within members of the same generation. This is the kind of dissatisfaction that Shakyamuni's parents must have experienced with Siddhartha, the young Buddha, when he broke out of the expected roles that his father had for him. But think about what drove Siddhartha to abandon his wife, his child, his family, and his inherited responsibilities to govern his father's kingdom. On some of his frequent rides outside the Trump Tower, I mean the Shakya Royal Palace, he saw sick people, old people, funeral powers, and mendicant priests or sages. And as he thought on this, as part of the dissatisfactions that everyone experiences in life, he was moved to seek something that would reconcile all of these dissatisfactions into a better understanding of life and each person's role and experience in life. His solution was to go to Berkeley, California with the flower children. No, though if there had been a Berkeley or even flower children, he might have joined them. In fact, he left the palace and joined the flower children of that time, the mendicants who lived off of the gifts of food, shelter, and clothing given by those who had solid jobs as leaders, warriors, farmers, merchants, and outhouse cleaners. But fast forward six years. Living with the flower children did not answer his basic questions about the source of dissatisfactions we have with life. Siddhartha left the mendicants and their way of approaching an understanding of life to sit under a tree for many days and nights until he came to an understanding, a sudden realization of his relationship to the rest of existence. And after some doubt about how to approach sharing his realization with others, he lived another 40 or 50 years, refining his way of expressing his understanding with others. He died at age 80, 
and so had solid experience with aging. So I think old age is an important part of understanding the origins of Buddhist thought, philosophy, way of living, and how to approach an understanding of self and others. All of these emerged and were refined as Siddhartha underwent profound change and became Gautama Buddha. Without old age and death which follows, life outside the tower walls might not have seemed such a puzzle to the young Shakyamuni. What if we lived without aging? Would, would we remain toddlers? Or would we just be born old like Benjamin Button? Without the dissatisfaction that arises from changes that go along with aging, we would not have had the wisdom that emerged from Shakyamuni Buddha's experience, his thought, and his understanding over his 40 or 50 mendicant years. So while I think that old age itself is not a desired endpoint, still the process of getting there, aging, is something that can bring relief from some of our suffering and dissatisfaction with life. Perhaps as we age, we can become more accepting of our own imperfections and of the imperfections of others around us and use that acceptance to encourage ourselves to do what Koto Uchiyama calls opening the hand of thought. Yomi Kubosi urged us to express our non-ego self in his chapter non-dichotomization in everyday suchness, and Koyo Kabosi talks about having takan, or long view, or a wide view of life, that is, not clinging so tightly to what we think we know, and being open to the ongoing dance of our own life and the lives of others. May it be so. May it be so indeed. I couldn't help but, in my own uh, awareness, having talked about love uh, in my previous remarks this morning, getting older, uh, the, na- the, the dynamics of aging, uh, uh, how does one feel when, they, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when they realize that they're getting older, there's a lot of implications about that. Uh, that have, when I say dynamics of aging, we're talking about psychological dynamics in the sense of there's great joy and great sorrow. <laughs> I remember a quote. You know, uh, when you experience supreme joy and and extreme sorrow, you know, the most important thing is not the joy or the sorrow, it's the supremeness. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, Gautama Buddha, his life story, we should really ponder that and relate it to ourselves and our life's journey in terms of really confronting uh, in depth what it means to me as was expressed in the Dharma glimpse the release my my existence and 
to life. Maybe this could come out in the sense of life stages in terms of aging. Okay, when you're this age, you could, the main thing, these are generations was used too. Huh? Um, uh, how the dynamics of societal generations, you know, certain decades, oh, the 20s, there were the flappers or or here was prohibition, or here was oh, a, world, a world war. Here was a Vietnam thing. Okay. Um, in a sense, when it was suggested that Siddhartha was the first hippie, okay, what was that hippie generation about? Where they, these people, these children, okay, I mean, this is a stereotype, but these were children of affluent families. And somehow they they challenged the stereotypical values of society and <laughs> what their parents' generation tried to condition them with, where being a success meant money, okay? prestige. Uh, and hippies, they celebrated love, <laughs> you know, uh, so I think all these themes, if you, <clears throat> Siddhartha saw at the four gates, right? Classic story, uh, sees an old person. Okay. This is, it's kind of unbelievable. Maybe it's a myth, a legend, but so we don't have to be concerned about the empirical uh, accuracy of historical things in the sense of what we're talking about. Buddhist truths are ahistorical, almost opposite of what, uh, well, I don't mean to talk bad about Christian uh, evangelicals or those who say, um, you know, want to spread the word and, and, and feel a calling in terms of going to colleges and talking to young people and saying, you know, uh, one of their arguments is, you know, the Bible and so forth. This is fact, okay? This is not philosophy, okay? Well, well someone, this other religion or something has, you know, a good philosophy or such and such. But this is historical fact, okay? Uh, as a way to try to convince and convert someone else. Uh, but I heard a Buddhist minister say, yeah, Buddhism is ahistorical, it's universal. It's beyond space and time. It's touting the ahistorical nature rather than using that as a, you know, measuring stick of, you know, what to believe in. Okay. So it's a big topic. And then someone, I remember saying, uh, okay, uh, four noble truths. The first noble truth is dudka. Usually called suffering. It's part of life. Okay. Um, as <laughs> as last week's speaker Andy Goyo, uh, he used uh, talked about the universality of dudka, and this is kind of interesting because I remember seeing a, uh, getting a phone call from a 
you know, uh, non-Buddhist. They were just interested in learning about Buddhism, really from the get-go. And if you start talking about the first noble truth, the person said, what? Your religion is based upon life is suffering? You know, on first blush. What kind of reaction would you have to that kind of a statement? So like love, like aging, boy, if you start thinking about those things and how, you know, personalizing, confronting, uh, you know, and when you think of aging, maybe you think about, and you think about an abyss. Okay. So-and-so said, hey, be careful if you stare into the abyss because you might find out that the abyss is staring back at you. Okay. By abyss, I mean you get older. You cannot keep your youth. Okay. And then at another gate, Siddhartha, you know, uh, saw a sick person. Okay. He had never seen an old person. He had never seen a sick person, you know, as the story goes, because his father knew that, you know, it had been predicted he's going to become his new son. is going to grow up and become a great philosophical uh, teacher of life, or he'll follow in his father's footsteps and become a, the ruler of the kingdom and the, and the Shaka clan and so forth. And, and of course, <laughs> like any father, he would want, you want your prodigy to take over your family business or, you know, uh, and so he wanted him to become a, a ruler, his son, Siddhartha. So he wanted to, he knew he was a sensitive boy, you know, and he didn't want him to see life suffering. Okay. So it's, it's a myth or a legend in the sense that he never, he never, he was surrounded by all young people, healthy people. He was the best archer. He was the best horseman, you know. Uh, so the impact of when he was becoming a young adult, he went, to the edges of the, the gates that went beyond the palace and he saw everyday life raw. And then he asked his attendant, hey, well, what, how come that guy looks like that? He said, oh, that's an old person. What's getting old? And it's explained to him and he says, you mean everybody gets old? He goes, well, yes, yes, Prince, that's true. Everybody? Yeah. Then he sees a sick person. Everybody gets sick. Yeah, yeah. Sees the funeral. Okay, in in ancient India, you know, they, they, they cremated them out in the field. Okay, the dead body, and he sees that, and that's an emotional image right there. You see the body burning and people wailing away and losing a loved one. He goes, "Hey, what's going on?" Hmm? He's told about death. You mean death? All of us? Me? Okay. My parents? My wife? My young son? <laughs> you know, he, uh, he said, yeah. Then, of course, at the fourth gate, he saw a monk. You know, we don't know what kind of a, a approach or philosophy, or, but there was a lot of teachers okay, of life uh, and different approaches. And he he said, as soon as he said, well, that guy's, this guy's dedicating his life. He's a truth seeker. How do you handle these truths of life? 
He goes, boom, I want to do that. I need to do that. And so he left his young wife and newborn son. And, you know, when I talked about, uh, it was a psychology class, and it dealt with different uh, religions and, uh, you know, really summaries or encapsulations. And when this, when college students age, you know, and they say, okay, here's the, here's the, uh, and typically say, well, the founder of this religion, you know, what was his experiences that led him to this way? And, you know, what he taught. And as soon as I remember one, one, well, she was a single mother. And, uh, she said, as soon as she read that he abandoned his wife and child, boom, that's against my, my values. You can understand that reaction. I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to this guy. Uh, well, well, you could explore that topic. Family and, you know, the, the, the dynamics of domestic life is a tremendous turmoil of, or, you know, uh, but then someone also said, you're taking the first noble truth, life is suffering, dutka. And you still want, you still will live. Okay. In fact, uh, uh, one of the French philosophers, existential philosophers said, took uh, Shakespeare's famous quote of, to be or not to be, that is the question. And so the French existential philosopher says, that is the question, okay? Are you going to live or not? If you, as soon as Siddhartha saw these life is suffering, Dutka, you know, uh, and he felt that so strong, he said, well, hey, is life worth living or not? You know, should I just commit suicide or should I jump into life? Grab life by the lapel and say, I'm with you, babe. Let's go. There's a dynamics there that, uh, and of course, there's four noble truths. Okay. What is the cause of Dudka? How do you handle it? Okay. And so forth. But I remember, my point is here is I remember a Buddhist teacher saying, so if you see those things of the, that the reality and impact of the first noble truth, Dudka, uh, and you still want to live, okay, to be or not to be, you still want to live, kind of a human, well, you might even call that kind of like a deep uh, intuition and instinctive aspect of living beings. Huh? They want to survive, they want to live. But especially with humans who can conceptualize aging, sickness, death, and you still live. But, of course, how to live fully. That is something very noble, isn't it? That's what's why that word noble is in there. Talking about the truth for noble truths, that the, these truths are noble. No, it's the person who sees that kind of a truth of aging, 
and still says, I'm going to be. I'm not going to not be. You know, it's a very powerful empowerment or optimistic view to say, yeah, I'm not going to, you know, get depressed. Okay. I want to live supremely. Okay. Not hiding anything, facing things, you know, that kind of courage of things. Uh, so these are just some thoughts that I had. And I did mention, when I mentioned Andy Goyo uh, last week's talk, it, when he was, well, he was part of LM4 group, but he, uh, I remember one, one of his reports, he, he, he talked about, you know, the universality of Dudka uh, and, and our suffering and, he said, you know, I think it's the McGuire sisters, uh, uh, sugar time. Okay. Sugar in the morning, sugar in the evening, sugar at supper time, okay, so forth. And he just substituted the word <laughs> dudka. Dudka in the morning, dudka in the evening, dudka at supper time. The, the, the universality of, okay, dudka. I always have that image when I hear the word good guys, you know, to explore, to dive into the abyss of Dudka, of aging. Man, we better, we better get, we better have some sincerity about this. Okay. Just individually, you know, we have to struggle just like what Siddhartha Gautama did for six years. Totally, you know, get that takan, that wide perspective. I also want to mention, you know, <clears throat> some years ago when I visited Roger Sayo, he lives in the Atlanta area, and I visited his home. In his office, he had the, uh, on one wall of his office over his desk, he had the, a world map, big map, you know, world map. And he had he 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 just mentioned, you know, just in passing, he says, "Well, I put this map here so I can get a sense of wideness, broadness of the world, okay? not just in my own house, in my own community, in my own city, okay, or nationalism in my own country or whatever. Just, this is a big world." And you will notice, okay, on that topic, if you look at a world's map, what's in the center of the map? Well, it depends on what country made that map. They put their own country right in the center. Okay. Uh, uh, a real map, or, or what, it, what, it, what it represents, this planet we're on, the oceans, the, the continents, and so forth, there's no center of, you know, huh, uh, you know, United States or Northern Hemisphere or Africa is maybe is a center or, you know. Uh, so all these kind of things, so, wow, you know, uh, you, well, anyway, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to. Say that's all for today's broadcast. Until next time, keep going. Keep going in your own self-reflection, self 
introspection about life's truths, about generational differences, you might skip over that because when you have your grandparents around and your parents around, this couple of generations <laughs> buffer you against the abyss of aging and non-existence. But supposing you're the oldest one in the, in a group, th- there's something about, hey, you know, my generation is next in line. Okay, I'm, you know, senior citizen or uh, I'm old. Okay, I'm the oldest one here. Okay? There's no other generations uh, of loved ones, you know, they're gone. Okay, I'm the oldest. So to delve into that, that's part of keep going, huh? Okay, what is love? What what does getting older mean to me? Okay. So let's have a beautiful day. Thank you.